Dotnet Rocks episode 815 with guest Glenn Block. Recorded live Saturday, October 20th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. It's good to be in Philly. How did they jam 100,000 people into the NPR yeah, in Philly? The <laughs> biggest Microsoft room ever. Ever! You guys are awesome. We love Philly, the city of brotherly love. And let's, uh, l- let's hear it for Cheese Days! Cheese Days! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that came over me. You had a cheesesteak. We this, did this, have yeah. a cheesesteak. Thanks yes. to Jeff Fritz for yeah. picking it up from Pudges for yeah, us, awesome. Jeff. Yeah. And the rest of you guys had to eat cold cuts. Nice. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> they were good sandwiches. All right. They were. Yes, it is awesome. And Glenn Block is here. <laughs> but before we introduce Glenn, we have a little business to deal with. Is that we? so? Yes. It starts with Better Know a Framework. And you'll just have to imagine the crazy music right here. Yeah, we, have, we have these great editors. Uh, the editor for this show will be Brandon. Everybody say hi to Brandon. Hi, Brandon. We love Brandon. And he will fix all of these things for us. He's so talented, he even makes us sound smart. That's right. And he'll also put the music in there. So, no, we don't get to hear it, but it'll be there at he the He puts time. in the music and takes out the dumb. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, I went looking for something different today. Oh. And I found a blog post from 2011. And if you go to tinyurl.com slash tricks, Nice. This is a blog post... Uh, from Tom Henderson in uh, July 2011, Stupid Contractor Tricks and How to Avoid Them. And it's really from the point of view of somebody who's hiring a contractor. And this is software. Software okay. contractor, okay. yeah. Although maybe it could apply to somebody putting a new roof on your house. Maybe. Too. I'm not sure. But essentially, so if you are a contractor, mm-hmm. these are the kinds of things that dumb contractors do. So don't do them. And if you are hiring a contractor, this is a really good thing to, to, to read so that you don't fall victim to the kinds of things that... And we're not talking these, about... Uh, we're talking about super contractor, Chris. This is not malice. This no, is no, 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 no. This is incompetence. Incompetence. And you should never ascribe... Ascribe? You like ascribe? ...to malice what can be adequately explained with incompetence. And so I will just go through them, but it's a long read, so he goes into detail. But contractor trick number one, contractor turnover causing additional costs through constant retraining. Didn't see that coming. Contractor trick number two, payment requests made off schedule. Higher security access desired, quote, so we can work more quickly. Right. Number four, the audit problem, weak or no QA process or version control. Mm -hmm. Number five, buying time through he said, she said. Number six, and this is all just like common sense, no high school stuff, right? Well, you immediately paint, you can see in your mind when that's happened, right? Yeah, and you can feel this guy's pain, Oh yeah, Yeah, it's great. Uh, Number six, newly found culture shock. Number seven, dodging invisible documentation as a defense. Uh, Number eight, changing the rules and overstepping the mandate. 
Number nine, the expansion of time. Number 10, lip service, telling tales out of school. So obviously, hopefully these get you intrigued enough to go to tinyurl.com slash stupid contractor tricks and read this article because it's, it's pretty interesting. And especially if you are a contractor from the other side of the fence, it's a good viewpoint. For sure. So, Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 797, which is the one we did with Mark Seaman, about Web API and REST. Yep. And this comment comes from Demir R., who says, uh, You mentioned MEF for Windows Store apps during a Better Know a Framework. I can confirm that it's not part of the framework, but a standalone NuGet package available. And he actually gives the link. I'll put it into the show notes. It was still in the framework during the beta, but it's been taken out for the RC release. And I can see Glenn nodding here because, let's face it, he is the MEF head. He's the MEF guy. Yeah, without a doubt. The MEF I had nothing to do with this one, though. Of course. Right. I do know about it. Yeah. Okay. More important than the new namespace, which is system.composition, is the fact that it is a really lightweight flavor of MEF than mm. what we've come to know from the full .NET framework. Hmm. Since Windows Store apps are not all that extensible, each of them being its own sandbox, yep. the main role of MEF is to serve as an IOC container. For that purpose, there have been several API changes to make it easier to use, and they are all described in a document on CodePlex. Since there are not all that many IOC containers available for the Windows Store apps at the moment, I think MEF is definitely worth a closer look. Absolutely. So, they took it out. Yes. Um, I think... This has been a continual desire for teams at Microsoft is there's a lot of pain of being in the box. Yeah, yeah. it's um, tough to be in the box. It's it, There's a lot of pain for you as customers uh, because of the fact that we want to get things to you, we hear you, and uh, if, it's, if it's in the box, we're only going to be able to get it to you on pretty big cycles. Now, there's always pros and cons because on the other hand, when we get you stuff too often – Plenty of people complain and say, yeah. oh, you're getting us stuff too fast. Right. Um, but I know that the MEF team and Nick Bloomhart, before he left, was really pushing on, hey, let's get this stuff to NuGet mm. so we can start iterating much faster. And in the past, I was the poster boy for talking about how MEF is not a traditional IOC. And I talked about how yeah. we really built it to focus on these third-party extensibility scenarios. But in the latest version of MEF, there was a really intentional focus on saying we also want this to be able to be used for more traditional IOC. So one of the ways that manifests itself is you don't have to use attributes anymore. Cool. You can use conventions. You can even kind of define your own um, conventions. Um, there's a little bit uh, stronger extensibility model as well. And so far, people have been reacting really, really well to it. And the MEF team has also been prototyping like an exponentially faster IOC container for the future cool. that they've been working on as well. So I think they're doing really great stuff. And I, I think the what you're seeing there with MEF on NuGet is really a preview of the future for the framework itself. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if the runtime itself was really small and you could get all these new bits that are coming out without having to upgrade your runtime yeah. simply mm. because they're just NuGet packages. You How many people think that would be cool? Yep. That's where yeah. it's going. You heard it today. That is the future. So, Demir... Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I said it. You said it anyway. <laughs> but we're happy to have you jeopardize your career on the show. Yeah, absolutely. That. That's perfectly fine with us. And, Demir, thanks so much for your comment. Uh, obviously, Glenn uh, answered it thoroughly and uh, really got into those ideas. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers rich developer training video courses online. They have over 300 high-end courses aimed at developers 
they release about eight to ten new courses every month, and they're authored by people that you see here on our show, by MVPs and industry experts, uh, all sorts of topics, including iOS, Android, Java, everything Windows on the Windows stack, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, XAML, uh, web API, it. web API. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, everything is up there, and uh, subscriptions start at just twenty nine dollars a month. Pluralsite.com. One more time, big round of applause for Glenn Block. Welcome him here. So I'm, I'm going to just jump in though. I'd, I'd be yes. really happy if we just had like a lot of Q and A. That would be awesome if people just asked <laughs> that us That would questions. be. Um, I think uh, we, we usually read a bio, but I don't have it in front of me. But the things I can say about Glenn is uh, he was one of the original authors of Prism and uh, for composition and then Meth. After that, the extensibility framework. And uh, now has sort of moved over to the Azure team. Uh, the Web API is, uh, absolutely is another one of your things. You sort of are all over the map, but definitely making huge contributions to the Microsoft technology stack. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for that description. That That is an accurate description. A, a, a good description for Glenn is all over the map. Yeah. Um, and I I kind of have gotten into this mode, you know, like you always worry about getting typecast. Like if you're an actor, you get worried about getting typecast. And I've, I've kind of received this typecast of, oh, I go to a project, help it get going. And then at some point, you know, after it's off and running, right. people say, oh, where's Glenn going next? Yeah. <laughs> I've had people ask me that. I'm happy to say right now I'm sitting still for a while. Uh, he's <laughs> yeah, an anonymous type. Very good. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. nice. That's good. You sort of, you don't want to get into the Fonzie uh, you know, syndrome. Well, the one of the Winkler reasons that syndrome. happens, though, there's a reason it happens. Um, I put a lot of effort into reaching out to community and not just evangelizing, but involving people that are out there in the real world with the development of the products that we're building. Uh, and we do this thing that we've been doing more and more called advisory boards. They're yeah. not they're not insider lists. There's a difference. Uh, advisors are really people that we go to like as we're building, before things have been nailed down. And we try to get them to weigh in and say these are the kind of scenarios we should be covering. And in particular, I've been very involved when those efforts are efforts where we could get a black eye. Like where mm -hmm. we've done it, you know, in the past we've done something and we've been perceived as, you know, not invented here or those kind of things. That's right. just been places where I've gone. And with the node stuff, it's not that we did anything wrong, but I think it was more like, hey, we really need to involve the community in evolving this mm -hmm. because there's already a node community that's out there. It's well established and we want to look good. So the best way to look good is to really get out there with the people that are doing it and have them actually help us instead of us just kind of coming up with ideas. We really brainstorm those ideas. So that's a lot of the reason why I've actually jumped around is is really trying to help. Uh, like even when I joined Prism, you know, we had this thing before called Cab. Yes. And yeah. so Prism was really same kind of thing. That was really the first project I worked on at Microsoft where it was like, hey, we did this thing called Cab. And, you know, some people loved it, but there were a lot of people that didn't love it. Mm -hmm. And listening to what the learnings were, listening to what the feedback was, looking at what was happening in the open source community, people like Jeremy Miller and Rob Eisenberg with Caliburn, uh, the shirt that Alvin is wearing. I love that shirt. Um, and saying, hey, what would you guys have us build? What if we came to these people before we actually invested a ton of effort and set up our you know, roadmap and, 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 and said to them after 18 months of development, here's what we're doing, yeah. and said, you know, before we wrote the first lines of code, 
what are the kinds of scenarios that are important to you guys? What are the things that are not important to you guys? And so that's that's kind of why I was why I keep moving around. So you feel like the Joe the the node setup is, it was a problem? Like I, I I was impressed with how quickly Microsoft got Node implemented, but they really didn't involve the community when they did it. No, we did. Okay. I think what I'm what I'm really saying is that I came in early. Right. Yeah. To drive that, yeah, to oh, help good. push that we did that. What I'm saying is there was a concern that before we did the work, mm-hmm. there's always that concern of like, how is this going to get received? Right. Right. right? Yeah. Are we going to look bad? What do we need to do to make sure that we do the right thing for that community? And and those that was a place really where I jumped in. And you in. certainly did the right thing. Thanks. I mean, Node is great. Yeah, Anybody here have experience with Node.js? Not a lot no. of people. Well, this is a perfect time to uh, plug it. So let's talk about um, Node. Node.js is server-side JavaScript. So it's really about writing application servers that you're used to writing with, like today, for example, with, with .NET, and writing that actually in JavaScript. It is actually JavaScript running on the yep. server. And, you know, when people hear that, the first thing they say is, wow, like JavaScript right, server, yeah. like JavaScript is slow and compute. Yeah. like, yeah, why? Um, well, first off, JavaScript today, the JavaScript uh, compilers that we have today or the runtimes are not what you remember 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. They're, they're exponentially faster yeah. thanks to people like Google and, and Microsoft. Google with Chrome have invested deeply with Chrome V8 mm-hmm. in a very fast JavaScript runtime. Microsoft with Chakra yep. and the work they've been doing in IE. That's their and compiler so, for IE. And, and, that, and that compiler with that runtime is not stuck in the browser. It actually can just run JavaScript, and it can run it anywhere. But it doesn't have natively the ability to run a server. Uh, the, you, if you just use uh, JavaScript V8, Chrome V8 Engine, or Chakra, really what you have is just a place to write client-side JavaScript code. Node changes that. Yep. Node actually sits on top of V8 and brings in things like HTTP libraries so that I can be an HTTP server. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it brings in an HTTP client so that I can make HTTP client calls. This is not ex- now, you, if you're familiar with doing JavaScript client side development, you know about things like XML HTTP request. Uh, this is a little bit different than that because XML HTTP request is in a sandbox and it's bound by things like cross domain and mm-hmm. things like that. You don't yeah. have any of those problems right. when you're using uh, an HTTP client in Node. But guess what? Those you, things you're calling problems are significant security features. They certainly. are when you're on the client, right. yes. but they are problems when you're a server. Right. <laughs> if you tell my server you can only make a request to this URL, that is that's going a problem. to be... Does that sound like that's going to be a problem? Yeah. And as it turns out, uh, it scales really well. The asynchronicity of it... Yeah, I'll, get to, very, I'll get to that. Very good. It and, does. And the, the speed and the scale is just... Off the it hook. has a nom- it has enormous scale. Um, it is so so so. In addition to HTTP, it has TCP/IP APIs. Yeah. So I can just open a socket. Try that in your browser. Like we have web sockets, mm-hmm. but in web sockets, I'm still connecting. I'm not an acceptor. I'm not a listener. So I can write TCP/IP servers. And I can, can do, do UDP servers. You can do that in C Sharp with you sockets can. and write. You can. Your own you Windows just normally don't do that with JavaScript, right? You don't that's, do a JavaScript. That's so that's really the difference. But let's say I want to access environment variables. Have you tried that in your browser lately? Yeah. That yeah. would you would never. I would never want you to be able to access <laughs> environment variables on my system in the browser. Right. But if I'm writing a server, I need to be able to do that. Or 
have you shelled out from your browser lately yeah. to start executing it's Probably commands? not a good idea. Probably not a good idea, <laughs> but it is when you're a server. So Node brings a full server-side stack to JavaScript. Now getting to the next pieces that Carl was talking about, one of the things about Node, because it was designed very recently, it's only about three years old. So it's really designed as an answer to the types of systems that we see being built today. So you heard that Carl, in his talk, he talked about tasks and using the async await stuff. And that's really because we've learned as an industry that blocking is bad when you're building these IO-bound type applications, especially if it's network IO-bound. File IO-bound's not as bad, but network IO-bound, that is murderous. Yep. So Node really took an opinion and said that everything, all the APIs, or 95% of them, are going to be using a non-blocking IO model. And what that means is you write scalable servers. It becomes more important as a server than a client because your ability to be non-blocking on the server is really going to correlate to how many requests you're going to be able to receive if you are single-threaded. Yes. And that's the thing that's that the throws key. people for a loop. So yeah. Node, not only is it a non-blocking IO model, but it is a single-threaded event loop. Now, yeah. how can a single-threaded event loop scale to handle all of these requests? Because although the code that I write is single-threaded, all those APIs that are non-blocking IO, they take callbacks. And those callbacks are handled by the operating system. So in the case of Windows, it's using IO completion ports, IOCP. Mm -hmm. um, so basically what that means is that although your app code is single-threaded, it's actually able to handle thousands of requests on a single machine. Yes. As long as you are building IO-bound applications. That's the key. Node is horrible for computational things, meaning if I'm just writing a loop that is just going and doing a bunch of processing, I will literally handle only one request. Yeah. But if I was a piece in an application that was doing computation, and all I was doing was handling the requests as they come in, making HTTP calls off to that server to do the computation, then when the response comes back, I return that to the client. Mm. Node does really, really well because that is an IO-bound right. type application. And I have tried to write these things myself, and successfully, but with a lot of trial and error and a lot of headache, um, starting with just handling every request and sending it out on its own thread. Yes. And while that sounds like a good idea, it does not scale. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik Just Code. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, Just Code, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where JustCode is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features JustCode offers and download a trial at Telerik.com slash JustCode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. The beauty of the single-threaded model here is you don't have to deal with things like shared state. 
Mm-hmm. There's right. no locking. You ever right. have to, you never have to loop. worry about that because of the fact that it's guaranteed that this code is going to run on the same thread as this other code. They're never going to run both on the same thread. But that's, and that's where, again, you heard it here from Glenn, the key thing is around that IO bound nature. Yeah. Now, here's why when you hear that, you might say, oh, well, who's actually building IO bound applications? Right. Well, guess what? What Carl just showed was that's an right. IO bound app. Anything it, that makes a call, it turns to a out service. that in this world yeah. of services, of mobile applications and devices, listen very carefully, and rich browser applications using things like jQuery to make calls back to the server. Let me see. Guess that's what? Like all They're IO bound. Yeah. All the server does is get a request. Yeah. It, it generates some static HTML, let's say if it's a web page. If it's a native mobile app that all lives on the client, the UI is all on the client, what is a server doing? Accepting requests, making calls off to other servers, etc. But don't use it for a mobile claim-based application mm-hmm. where the claim is actually being analyzed big in actual or com- computation. That's, that's not a good idea. Yeah. You know, one of the things that happens in, in the, uh, Carl's demo, which I've now seen 17 times, is that it's still so, loving it though? It's right? incredibly fast. Like yeah. that's the thing that jumps out at you is that's not that's a good tablet. It's not a great tablet. It's yeah. actually calling to a web service that's running at the Pop Studios, yeah. and the internet connection in each of the different venues varies. Like we haven't got control over all the variables here, mm-hmm. and time and time again, that fa- that app runs great. Yep. But it's all async. And it's just, there's no cup. The UI stays snappy. All those pieces are loading at the same time. Fast and it fluid. It fools you. No do events. Yeah. And no, and no, I'm not waiting for this and waiting for that. There's no waiting. That's a blast from the past. Yeah. It's terrible. Well, it's still in .NET, right? Application. I should have said application dot do events. Yeah. But no, I, dude, I, I remember writing those dude, apps where well, it's like, oh, dude, you just need to add a do event. Yeah, everything will be, be fine. Everything will be fine. What could happen, really? <laughs> but I remember taking this, getting back to the server thing. I remember taking my server and you know running it through my tests and refactoring it from this whole you know spin off the threads for each request, um, you know, a new thread, and then changing that to a tight loop and with my same code. My scalability went through the roof. Like, I, I was able to handle, I don't know, maybe 400 concurrent connections just on my laptop with my test environment. And that went up to, like, you know, 30,000 or something. Like, it was ridiculous. Yeah, so, scale. absolutely. So, and I, writing I, that, and that's my key, is that writing that architecture yourself takes a lot of skill. Exactly. And you may, I'm not saying that, you know, using something other than Node, you're not going to be able to write something that's no, faster. You, you may actually be able to write something that's faster and more scalable, but... Mm, yeah. The thing that Node is really trying to appeal to is lowering that barrier yeah. and making it more approachable yeah. to the average person. In this case, focusing on a client-side JavaScript developer who wants to move to the server. Like I'm, I'm. There's a lot of client-side JavaScript developers out there, and Node is unlocking the opportunity for them to actually go and build servers. But what you find really interesting is people that have not been primarily just JavaScript developers that have been also server developers are looking at Node, like people coming from Rails, Mm -hmm. people coming from Java, and they're saying, wow, this is easy. Mm -hmm. And they like the consistency of using the same language, both for client and for server. C++ developers, like Kent, like Kent Alstad, right? He's a a hardcore C++ guy who's been writing that stuff for a long time and looking at Node and going, wow, this is just amazing. Well, and that's why I'm excited about the WinJS stuff, because... Like, let's say I'm a Node developer. I can mm-hmm. I can now build Windows 8 applications where the client and the server are written in the same language. Because as you saw, that call that you were making, the beauty about HTTP, mm. 
that client doesn't care what the server looks like. It doesn't, all it cares about is, can you accept my HTTP request and give me back an HTTP response? So I think, and so I think Win8, uh, you know, clients talking to Node apps is also going to see some, be something that you're going to see start to pop up. But do you really feel like we're now in a place where a developer skill in a given language is the most important thing? And so we got to be able to bring that language everywhere? Um, I don't think necessarily it's critical, but I think it's a nice to have. I mm-hmm. think people mm-hmm. – here's the thing that is really cool. I can use jQuery on the server right. in yeah. my Node app. That is yeah. cool. How many people here are writing jQuery client-side? It's awesome, Lots. right? Yeah. And you love what you can do. But then as soon as you go to the server, you say goodbye to it. Yeah. Well, not if that server is written in Node, you don't. Yeah, you right. can actually just include jQuery as a module and do dome processing. And one of the people that does uh, dome processing, which is pretty interesting, is Yahoo. So Node, one of the things that's really interesting about Node 2 is the fact that it's really taking off in some very big companies. It's not just something that startups, a lot of mm-hmm. startups love Node. They say it's the new Rails, et cetera. Yeah. But Yahoo uses Node, and the way they use it is they do dome processing on the server. If you're a browser that is an old browser, instead of having conditional logic all strewed up in their JavaScript code, right. they basically will move that rendering to the server and they will use Node's ability to load a dome up on the server and execute the JavaScript code. And then they will just give back the rendered result and it will all happen real time in the browser. Well, wow, that sounds a lot yeah. like old school ASP.NET actually. But and Web Forms is back. Well, but it's, it's only back if you're an older client. Right. The beauty there, get the key. The key here is they're writing that client-side code once, yeah. and then they're using something in the middle that can magically move where that code right. executes. The difference before was you didn't have you know, a really good exp- – you weren't able to just write it to the richest yeah. and then just have it magically work unless you worked through – a high-level abstraction, like all of our controls and all that. You know, yeah, the good old days. Yes. Well, and very challenging. And, and, and uh, from experience learned, that approach, that server-side rendering approach, doesn't scale well. It gets, becomes, as the get, systems get bigger, it gets hard. You want to offload that work on the client. True. But the difference, I would say, is because of Node's scalability mm-hmm. and the fact that it can scale really well, and it's also really lightweight. That's another thing people really like about it. Yep. Really small footprint. People are finding that actually, like Yahoo's finding that, hey, setting up a rack, a ton of servers that can just do that work. And because Node is very lightweight and, and for doing that kind of JavaScript processing, it works fine for you them. Yeah, more bang for your buck. Yeah. And Node.js works in Azure. It so does. This is an Azure. It does. And that, that's pretty much what my team focuses on. My, fo- my team focuses, because people say, okay, I can write these great JavaScript applications. One important thing, which I didn't mention, is the modularity of Node. Node is really, really small. If you install it on Windows, it is a single executable. How many people here have installed like Python or installed Ruby or installed.NET? Right? There's thousands and thousands of files that get installed on the machine. Whereas with Node, I literally can drop an exe in a folder, open my favorite text editor, and write a server-side application. If I was doing demos, you'd see that. But mm-hmm. it's, a pretty, it's pretty compelling. But it doesn't have everything in the box, but then it has a really amazing package manager called NPM, the Node Package Manager. And there are 14,000 plus, I think now it's like 15,000 modules in that registry. And why that explosion of modules is because because Node is so disciplined in the core of not trying to add everything in, Mm -hmm. that has really opened a door for open source 
to really take this thing forward. And that has just created a ton of excitement. Yeah. And, you know, people... thousand packages almost scary. Yeah, like, it is. It is. Through them all. It is. But it's kind of the, you know, it's kind of the Darwinian law of, you <laughs> know, survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically, you have some modules like Express. A few people use it. They say they like it. More people use it before you know it. Thousands and thousands are using it. So it's like you go and say, hey, I want to write a web server. I want to build a web application. Naturally, Express falls out. But it is true that it is, you know, with all these modules, there's a challenge to figure out which ones to use. And I wouldn't, you know, it's not Darwinian. Nothing ever dies. It just That's lays true. around not being used. <laughs> like a cast. Some die, but plenty stay around. That's true. Software projects are never done. They're just abandoned. That's right? true. That's true. But, I, but what I find, having been involved with the Node community for like a year and a half, there's a pretty strong community out there that it, it's pretty easy to see the major modules that everybody's using, sure, yeah. like Express, like Socket.io. And you have major companies like LinkedIn and Walmart that are using these modules right. um, and Microsoft. So yeah. that gives you some kind of – The other thing that's really nice is um, all of this is open source. It's on GitHub. So if I want to go and – look at a module and I'm not sure which one to use, I can go to that module, I can see how frequently it's getting committed, I can see the number of watchers, which is a great way to tell, like, this is yep. a project that enough people actually are using. Yeah. Um, and I can see how active things like the issue list are and the forums, etc. So I really do have a decent way today to get out there and get a gauge, at least, of if people think this thing is interesting. Mr. Campbell. Sir. You know what time it is? Must be that happy time again. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky winner of the .NET Rocks Fan Club. Woohoo! Are you all fan club members? Yeah. Well, we have thousands of members, and if you don't know what this is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, sign up, and you can win stuff. Every show we give away, right now we're giving away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. Awesome. Who's our winner? Our lucky winner is Kevin Steinkey from Rockland, California. Congratulations. <laughs> no golf claps on the road trip. No golf claps on the road trip. <laughs> These people feel like superstars. Congratulations, Kevin. And uh, every year in December, starting this year, we're mm -hmm. giving away $5,000 worth of technology right before the holidays. Indeed. Isn't that a good time? Excellent and we time. we like to ask our guests, if you had five grand to spend on technology, what would you buy? And, you know... Don't say Hadoop, Hadoop cycles or Azure <laughs> hours or, you know, hardware. Let's talk hardware here. Hardware? Hardware. Would, well, it would probably be... Oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> does it have an Apple logo it on does. it? It does. <laughs> it would probably be the new MacBook Pro with Retina display. Oh, uh, yeah. It would definitely be part of the uh, investment. Well, yeah. you know, that that's the best uh, machine for running Windows 7. And then Win as 8. it's around, <laughs> it is, and Win 8. I'm running Win 8 on Parallels. So. Yeah. And then around the corner, we have the Surface. So right. I would I would definitely not be able to avoid. Although the, sur uh, the Surface, even the, the Pro the doesn't excitement. get that expensive. What's this? The Pro doesn't even get that expensive. Maybe we. I think I'll bet you. Well, if you have, if you load it up with 16 gigs of RAM yeah. and a 500 gig SSD, you're well, talking we'll, 2,500. We'll yeah. give away a six pack with some barbecue sauce. Right, a six pack <laughs> of surfaces. Yeah. 
Nice. Nice. Now, all right. Um, one of the things we've been floating around is this idea of a hard copy. You know, what, what do they call them? The printers, the 3D printers. A 3D printer, yeah. That will let you make. And a Surface. I mean, because, you know, you say fully loaded Surface, about 2500 bucks. We can get it. Oh, a, no, no. I was talking about the new Surface tablet. Yeah. The, uh, uh, That's high, what we're talking about. The surface? MacBook Pro would be about twenty five. would be about three grand. Right. That yeah. I'm but, it, but a Surface Pro, ah. fully loaded, ah. I think you'll get it over two grand. The yeah. good MakerBot, the Ultra, is about two grand. Throw in a Wacom tablet because you're going to do a lot of 3D drawing, a bit of software. I think you're at five thousand bucks, and you've got yeah. yourself something that'll make Warhammer thirty thousand characters right? <laughs> or nice. forks. Or... <laughs> I don't know what to make with Our a 3D printer. Richard Campbell bobblehead dolls. That would be good. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, if you want to you know, be a part of this, just go to dinerox.com and sign up for the fan club. Glenn, I'm wondering if the reason that, that Node does so well for this is that it, it there isn't a lot of stuff there. Like, you, you know, I've done well with IIS and, and dealing with the pipeline, but you have to know a lot to actually make it perform well. It's just heavier. It's like they've taken all that out. Now you have to roll it all yourself, essentially. So the lack of complexity means you, you just can't get yourself in as much trouble. I think that um, there's definite truth to that. People like the fact that I can get started with much less and turn things on as I need them. That's mm -hmm. a big theme, I would say, in Node is that you start with very little. Right. Um, but it gives you know the problem you have. I think in, in a lot of our traditional stacks is you have to peel everything back yeah. and you have to know where to go to get there. Whereas yeah. with Node, it really is starting off with something very small that I bolt on things. I may have challenges to find the thing that I want. Sure. If I don't, maybe I'll have to write it. But even if I have to write it, that may be okay as long as there's not something standing in the way preventing me from doing what I want to do. Well, I think it's a core philosophical difference. It you is. Know, that approach, which Microsoft has done for a long time, was turn everything on so it's all there. Whatever you yes. need, it'll kitchen always sink. work. Yeah, that sort of kitchen sink attitude. Yes. Which the problem was when you got serious, it took a long time to turn stuff off. Yes. That, that created a large attack surface as yes. well. That, you know, vulnerabilities because there were things on you never needed, never knew about, and didn't know to turn off. I, I just worry about the blank slate syndrome. You come at Node, and it doesn't do much. It doesn't, but as soon as you get out there in – well, it depends on who you are in terms <laughs> of saying that it doesn't do much. Right. Um, but I think what you find – and this is like if you look at a lot of startups, for example, that are looking at Node and mm -hmm. are building their whole stack in Node, like their entire web server and everything, mm. um, that ecosystem that's there – uh, is very rich as soon as you step in to that module mm -hmm. world. I agree with you. If you just stick with Node, um, you know, in the core, you're going to be writing a lot of code. Right. But other people have written that code. Yeah. And, you know, it's been around now close, about three years. Right. Um, and you really find, like, pretty much what I've found since I've been using it and when I talk to people um, – you go to you go to you know any kind of problem you're trying to solve image compression whatever it is mm -hmm. and you find guess what there's actually a module Somebody's for done that it. Yep. yeah yeah and that's an exciting thing but it also speaks to this is a very specific development style you better be willing to go out looking if you want to believe that you get everything in the box you're sure. in the wrong place you no. need to go get stuff well right and I think it's even stronger than that I think it's like I don't like getting everything in the box mm -hmm. it's more than a be ready. It's more like that is – I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I like – You like discovering it yourself. Discovering it. Yeah. I like having those choices to pick the pieces that I want to pull in. Yeah. And actually, if you look at things like NuGet in the .NET framework, there's a lot of people that are saying, you know, guess what, Microsoft? I like developing with .NET, but I would like to have more choices 
of how those pieces get put together. I just and battle with the quality of the stuff you're bringing in. Like, what are the measures? How do I know that this package is good? Sure. Yeah, there's and, and an I think app store it's, model with It's a crowdsourced model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You look at things like, are there unit tests? Who's using it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of, there actually is a lot of things where it's like, hey, that's somebody I respect and he uses this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is gone down to a very basic level that people actually find works. Is now, the, this is, is the really rating sp- system a good idea for the, for these kinds They've of things? They've added that now. Uh, so NPM has recently added like stars and people can star projects. Right. Um, and no, I think, I think a rating system is a valid thing. As a matter of fact, pretty much since it's, uh, since early on, um, Node has been publishing like the top modules. NPM sure. has been publishing like the top depended on modules. Yeah. Um, because if a module is dependent on, that doesn't mean, I don't mean apps using it. I mean, other libraries using yep. it. Other libraries taking a dependency and saying, Hey, this thing really gives me what I need. And that's a real, uh, vote of confidence. Yeah, a real endorsement. But, exactly. So I also yeah. wonder how big a role GitHub plays in all this. That I'm so much more confident in a given piece of software when it's on GitHub and yes. I go there and I see 40 people arguing over a feature. That to me speaks of the life and importance of the software. Or a thousand watchers, yeah. right? I know. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. a major part of the success. Um, and I really do, you know, and some people may disagree with me, but I really believe that you know, Node's success is very much tied to NPM, mm-hmm. which is very much tied to GitHub and this right. whole mm-hmm. open source thing. Well, just this, when people look, put energy into arguing about a technology, yeah. you're pretty sure it's important to them. And the more that's, that's going on, the more confidence you have that it's an important piece of software. Yep. I mean, and look at, I mean, and Node's not the first one to do this. Look at Gems, you mm-hmm. know, in Ruby on Rails, right? right? A lot of people didn't care about Ruby. Right. Rails made suddenly like all these people were caring about Ruby. Right. And gems really, it's like any kind of Ruby on Rails development you were using, you're pulling down gems. So it's a proven model that has worked. You know, in your in your introduction you did before we started recording, you talked about how you grew up playing Infocom games and stuff and text hmm. adventures and things. And I just can't help but going here seeing how – The parallel. That- well, the parallel, because, yeah. you know, when you start using Git and you start using Node and stuff, you're in the command line, man. I mean, like, all these tools are command line tools. Is it is there a, co- is there a coincidence that, you know, guys like you grew up playing Zork and now we're like, everybody's in the command line? You know, like PowerShell. You know what I think? People have been burned with tools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many people here have ever been burned GUI with tools a tool? Or just tools yes. in general? GUI tools. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because command line is our tools. Right. They're just not tools that I use my mouse in the window. Right. But, you know, we find a lot of people, and Microsoft has really bought off on this. Like, my team builds command line tools for deploying to Azure. We don't yep. support .NET yet, actually, ironically, but we support PHP and Node and other kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and actually, we do support .NET because we support websites. So, Azure websites, okay, right. uh, we support .NET for. But we find a lot of people that say, hey, I would much rather open my shell and do one command than have to open VS, file new, blah, 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 open the wizard, whatever. But there are other people that love that. So I think it's, um, you know, I think Node is is catering to a growing community of folks that are saying, like, I've been down that path and I really like, you know, these lighter weight tools. What I care about actually is getting my job done. Right. I don't care about if it's done with pretty pictures. I care about getting my job done right. and getting it done efficiently. I do like, uh, IIS subscribes heavily to this philosophy of every command, everything that you can do to a given service is a command line option. And then you put a GUI shell over top of that, just writes the command line options for right. you. 
so that there's nothing you can do in the GUI you couldn't do from the command line, and the command line comes first. And I'll tell you another example of that, but this is more about web APIs. Mm -hmm. So the Azure portal, how many people here have used the new Azure portal, the HTML5? Yeah. Actually works on, a, yep. works on a tablet, works, yep. on, a, works on a Windows mobile yeah, phone, yep. Windows phone, uh, which is awesome. That is a consumer of... Um, Azure APIs, mm -hmm. RDFE, which is our management API and things like storage services. So the portal is not taking any back doors. It's basically just a consumer of those APIs, mm -hmm. which means that I can have command line tools that call those APIs, which ours do. So our command line tools are just calling the exact same APIs. So what I'm getting at is as we expand into this world of yeah. devices yeah. and APIs, the same actually holds true. I think it's a very important philosophy that all of these services should be command line accessible and then build a, if you want to build a UI, build it on top of that. It's funny how everything old is new again, right? And, SOA, right? And, and <laughs> even in Windows 8, I mean, you know, you use Windows 8 on a tablet, you're using your finger, but using it on a desktop, man, you better get used to those command line shortcuts yeah. and those, those keyboard, the Absolutely. Windows key, hotkeys. Like, Absolutely. you can't live without those. You can't. And, and once you get used to it, you really like it. You but you it's like an, it it's initially more. an adjustment. It's definitely Especially adjustment. because, like I said before, the screen goes Fisher-Price on you when you start typing, and then you're back in desktop mode. Unless you're living in uh, in that other mode, which we used to call Metro, you know. I'm I don't sorry. Know. I just have to say Metro mode. Can yeah. I say so that? So the other thing. I, I don't work for Microsoft. Can I say Metro mode? Is that okay? I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> yeah. So, so and personally, I don't care. So, um, really so the other thing is you talked about tooling. So yeah. when you build things in this mode, getting to your next point, which the Azure portal is a proof of, mm -hmm. um, it's very easy to layer on top of it tools. Sure. And yeah. so what we see is things like Web Matrix, for example. How many people here have heard of Web Matrix? Yeah, a couple of hands. We've done ahead. a bunch of work the recently nice. to enable you to author a Node.js application in Web Matrix. Yeah. And you can run it. And when you run it, that's relying on some of that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, we've done actually some work to integrate Node with IIS yep. in order to make it work well. Uh, using IAS as the web server, but IAS manages those node instances. Right. And when you're in Web Matrix, it's just relying on that infrastructure to run your node app. So yeah. I think, and they're using NPM. Now, it's interesting, like they actually have added support in Web Matrix for going out to NPM, the package manager. But NPM is really just APIs over a, over a couch database. Oh, yeah. So they can just go directly. To that couch DB, they don't have to use the tools, but you could also imagine a world of them calling to NPM the command line tool sure. from within the GUI. So you can totally have GUIs that are rather than talking to APIs, mm -hmm. are actually talking to command line tools. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small, especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report Six. Oh yeah. Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active Reports from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. So, you know, it looks to me like Web API is working pretty well. Node.js is getting out there. Where are you going next? <laughs> yeah, nice. that was my question. I said, I'm sitting tight right now. Uh -huh. um, sure you are. 
<laughs> the worlds are colliding, though. Like I said, it's really interesting what happened with Azure Mobile Services because mm -hmm. that yeah. really is bringing all of these worlds together of building web APIs um, and, you know, today authoring them in Node. But, you know, who knows what the future holds. Mm -hmm. And um, and basically, um, you know, building, um, you know, building these cloud-based Node backends as well. Um, and so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually sitting tight. I think the, the area where I'm investing a lot of my energy now is really on more of the adoption side. Like mm -hmm, we're getting yeah. – the platform is kind of in place. And that's usually how I roll anyway. Like mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time getting people together and we figure out what we're going to build. And then once that gets there, then we really need to start pushing, you know, pulling people in to actually use it. Sure. You've just been overseas. I was. China. I was. Tell me about that trip. Uh, I'll give you a short version because sure. I was there for three months. <laughs> um, I had the real privilege to take my family to China and to work with uh, Microsoft in Shanghai and to work with the Windows Azure team on a service that will be public in the future, but which is actually hosted in Web API, hmm. which was actually kind of cool. Neat. Um, but, but it was also just amazing, aside from the work side, just being in China um, – I put on a JavaScript event while I was there. So it turns out there were Node developers in mm -hmm. China. Nice. There's a growing Node community, still young, but quite a number of JavaScript developers as well in China. And so we put on an event called WhoJS. You can go to hujs.org. Who stands for Shanghai. And we brought together 200 developers locally, as well as some international folks, international speakers. And uh, we had you know, three days of solid JavaScript client and server. So it was a lot wow. of fun. We actually wanted to go. And yes, then yes. before the road trip uh I reached out form. to you guys yeah. before the event, even when the event yeah. was just the idea. Right. <laughs> and we would have gone, but we, we got the road trip uh, scheduled at the same time. But yeah. uh, so, um, so what is the Chinese developer community like? I mean, what, what's the difference that's a good question. Um, well, I think it depends on which community you're talking about. Because it's would say a lot of communities. Mobile is on – so if you look at startups, um, mobile development is on fire mm -hmm. right now uh, in China. Uh, Android development, iOS development. Um, Android devices are much cheaper mm -hmm. and there's mm -hmm. about 8,000 flavors of them. Yes. So, yeah. You, yeah, you so, can, you, so you have challenges there you because – There's a lot in the Verizon store. Wait till you walk into uh, – in Shanghai, these malls. Just wall-to-wall -wall phones. It's crazy. And they're right near each other. They're, yeah. No, no, no. There's like, you know, there's like 10 mobile shops yeah. all, all next to each other. Yeah. Just packed together. Literally next to each other. And it's almost like no two phones are the same. But there's 28 million people there. So, yeah. all mm -hmm. you've, you know, if a few people gravitate here and a few people, they're, they're all doing fine. But, yeah, mobile development is on fire. Um, a lot of PHP. Mm -hmm. A lot of PHP developers. Um and because, you know, there's also a lot of open source, like as far as uh, a lot of people running Linux, mm -hmm. um, much less number of MacBook Pros. Yeah. Expensive um, hardware. Yeah. Definitely even, a lot you know less. You it's manufactured there. Yes. They don't buy it there. <laughs> Isn't even the commercial software open source in China? I <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a funny story, though. So I know I everybody can sell one copy in China. I, <laughs> so they have – here's something it. that's really cool that's different about the startup community. 
they have these, uh, especially in Beijing. Beijing is like the Silicon Valley of China. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's really taking off are these startup cafes. So one of the well-known ones is called The Garage uh, Choku Coffee. It's a coffee shop where startups are working. Um, but unlike kind of the models we have where you have these shared workspaces where people pay a certain amount and, you know, they pay a decent amount of money every month to work there. Mm -hmm. With Choku, you pay like dues for the year, but you have to continually buy food and coffee. <laughs> wow. And so it's cool actually because this way, you know, first off, if, if the startup's not working out, you're not, you're not paying a ton of money. Yeah, if you can't afford upfront. the coffee, you're done. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, the funny Good story was we here. went there and we met a bunch of game developers oh, yeah. sitting at a table. And they've got 10 million users using their games. Wow. So they're, they're doing pretty well. Mobile, mobile app. Wow. And cool. so uh, one person had a computer. She's a woman that we were talking to. Mm -hmm. She had a Windows machine. Everybody else had Linux boxes. So I said to her, you know, Linux desktops. Yeah. So I said to her, I said, oh, I noticed you have Windows. She's like, I'm the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> So the CEOs use Windows. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah, you know. And then the other guy just looked at me and laughed when she said that. So, uh, but yeah, no, there's definitely plenty of people using Windows. We know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and we'd like it if more paid for it. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think that the thing that I would say was different is just it felt like a much greater emphasis on mobile. Mm -hmm. Like mobile is hot here, but it's like there, if you're not move, doing mobile, I mean, yeah, you might right. have a website, but it's like so much energy. The other thing that really struck me about China is just that it really is its own universe. And the government has played a part in this. I can mm -hmm. say that now because I'm not in China. Um, mm -hmm. With the, you know, Great Firewall, right, which is right. what it's known as. But, and it is a very real thing. I could not check my Facebook. I could not check my bank account Mm -hmm. Without using a VPN, which right. is very easy actually to get uh, a VPN wow. while you're there. Wow. Um, but there are a lot of local services that are very specialized that developers use. For example, there they don't use WordPress that much, mm -hmm. but there's Discus. Discuss, actually. Right. It's not Discus. Discuss. Discuss is like a local version of WordPress. Yep. But same idea, same kind of architecture, pluggability, et cetera. Um, so there's, so there's, uh, and then there's, you know, Weibo, right. there's not Twitter yeah, and right. there's, Twitter uh, and there's, um, you know, Baidu and for search and there's all these different services that are there that developers are using. But I think a lot of the problems are the same. The one that I would say is a little bit different is bandwidth. Band, net, the network infrastructure of China is just shot, particularly mm -hmm. like in Shanghai, but, but all over. Is shot meaning there's not enough to go around? It's... You might have places where there's stronger infrastructure and places where there's crappy. It's like mm -hmm, a Swiss cheese kind of oh, thing. This is also speak to the mobile story that land bandwidth and PCs, for that matter, aren't that prevalent, but everybody's got a phone. Yes. And so mostly they want smartphones. Yes. So it's kind of like South Texas. Nice. That's what you're saying. But, but this really, <laughs> just in terms this of really impacts your... them in a significant way of how they develop. Sure. I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example. So there's a, a YouTube uh, clone there. It's like Yoku, I think, is the name of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our side of the world, like when we would build a service like that, we might have a couple of data centers, maybe one or two different regions of the country. They have like 200 small data centers throughout China. Wow. 
And that's because of all the bandwidth problems. Mm -hmm. So they have to have all these smaller localized pockets of processing for cloud and things like that. Cloud is extremely young there too. Sure. It's so young, people are not even interested in it. Mm -hmm. Like it's, that's how young it is. And one of the challenges I think we find there is because the hardware is so cheap. The incentive to go to the cloud Pretty low. is far less well, because of the fact the that the hardware is so reliability. Yes. Right? Lack of power and lack of Im- that infrastructure as a whole really is going to undermine cloud for a long exactly. time. Exactly. And, and even if they can improve it, there's a lot of perception challenges there. Uh, and Microsoft's work – so I think that Microsoft and even companies like Amazon actually have a real strong – shot there mm. if they can get in and that's another challenge sure. working with the government and if they can get in does that mean we can partake in that uh in that discussion as well in terms of us u.s software developers well i think you can now like there's not you you can certainly like there's plenty of developers in china that do interact say with github mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah i think one of the reasons why we went to do the event was to try to open things up more right um the one thing i would say is that you know if there's going to be cloud in china because of the dynamic of china mm-hmm. um it has to be localized yeah and what i mean by that is it can't be connected to the rest of the world yeah it's gonna be so that's a, so that's a that's another challenge there like that's part of just you know, doing business in China. Sure. Well, Glenn, before we uh, wrap it up here, are there some resources you want to call out? I know you're working on a book. Is that something we can talk about? Or? Sure. Um, I am working on a book with a couple of other authors for um, O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is on building, it is on ASP.NET Web API, but it is on building evolvable systems using Web API. Nice. So we're trying not just to focus it on the technology, but really think about real world stuff. Um, and we have some people with a good amount of experience. I mean, I, I worked on the team that built it, Howard Durking, who actually, you mentioned Pluralsight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you, if any of you guys are interested, like in REST and want to understand what it's really about, Howard worked with me on Web API and yeah. he did a fantastic course on Pluralsight about HTTP and REST. Um, and then we have Daryl Miller, for example, and Pablo Sobraro, mm-hmm. um, and Pedro Felix. And Daryl has been very active in the REST community. Um, and Pedro actually teaches it for a living, teaches REST to a lot of students and other things. And then Pablo used to work at Talago, CTO of Talago. He oh, was, yeah. you know, he's a great guy. So, so we've got a good, um, I think we've got a, a good set of knowledge, both of people that worked on the platform and people that are out there building these systems in the real world and that's going to be in the book. So at some point the book is going to get finished. It's in progress. We are doing it though with a really cool thing that O'Reilly has this open source model they have. Mm -hmm. So you guys are going to be able to get access to it as it's being written for free. Wow, cool. Actually. So that'll be out there very, very soon. So look for that on O'Reilly.com. Let's give one more big round of applause to Glenn Block. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com.
.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got